Yeah, episode 25. That's a milestone. Wow, that's a big milestone. Yeah. It's exciting. Super exciting. Kind of amazing that we've been at this for quite so long, but that's fantastic. Yes, yes, definitely. And with episode 25, we're kicking off a new series. Oh, yes, I know. This is a first for us, I think, doing a book series. A book series, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which I think you suggested. I don't know. I think it was your suggestion. Think again. Either way. Well, the book, (laughs) well, ha ha. Yeah, think again. It wasn't me. No, the book was my suggestion. The idea was yours. So perfect teamwork. Perfect teamwork. Yes. So new series, which we've done series before, but yes, not, not over a book. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, me too. I like it. It's it. There are some, I've felt like when I was reading through it, I actually haven't finished it yet, but when I was reading through it and um, audibling myself, audibling, is that a word? Audibling myself I think through so. it? <laughs> it is now. I felt like it was almost so simple that I just kept having these like, like rather than aha moments, I kept having these like, duh moments, like, yes, of course. But it's often things like that that are beautiful in their simplicity and e- easy to absorb, at least for me. So, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I had a similar simplicity, similar idea where gotten feedback in our career where as soon as you hear it, you just kind of know that it's true mm-hmm. and you are unconsciously operating one way. And then when this sort of new nugget of information is put on your radar, presented to you, it's like really obvious. And mm-hmm. so because it's obvious, like it, I think it makes it easier to act on sort of like yeah. a shock. Mm-hmm. There's the catalyst. And so I think that's been really helpful. There are pieces in this book that fall under that area for sure. But the the other thing we have to watch out for is, you know, what if you get that same quality of feedback full of wisdom, has the potential to be life-changing, but something inside you disagrees like immediately, then what? Right? You I think that's probably more of the common scenario. Mm-hmm. And so I think this book, Think Again by Adam Grant, you know, helps address sort of that idea. I think even the, I'm going very meta here, but even the idea that we would have a visceral reaction or an instant negative reaction to a piece of information probably should be a trigger that we should listen. We should force ourselves to hear what's being said. Yes. Yes, definitely. Does it certainly doesn't mean that every piece of feedback that's being given is valid. I often think of it as how believable is the person giving the feedback? You know, are they believable in that area, believable in their observation? Did they have kind of the authority, if you will, to, to say what they're saying? But I also tend to check if I have a very knee-jerk reaction to what they're saying, that it's probably worth me rethinking or thinking again. Thanks, Adam, to see if there's something I really need to hear there because for one reason or another, I didn't like what I heard. Yeah, which the book argues is a skill set. I think on the in the prologue, it says it's really about adopting the mental flexibility to adapt to the complexities of the world mm-hmm. and be more effective in, which will help be more effective in our personal and professional lives, right? Mm-hmm. And then it goes one step further, which I think is really interesting and really why I think the book will dovetail so nicely into what we're trying to do is to that he wants to help encourage the same mental agility in others mm-hmm. which is a very tall order 
And so I think it's there's a there's a personal aspect which we've covered a little bit too. But then it's that in, encouraging others to do the same thing, build this skill set which we're biologically predisposed to do the opposite. Yeah, I think this book probably couldn't be more timely. The just the general turbulence that we're all facing. Just thinking about coming up on the Labor Day holiday and how many people I know who are work at companies that were mandating a return to work. This is one, just one example. Mandating return to work right after Labor Day and now have rescinded that. So how much, how disruptive is it to put, make something definitive based on a, a variable set of facts that you refuse to acknowledge as variable to then to put people through the turmoil of preparing for that after having worked from home and had different personal lives in different physical locations and and childcare situations, you name it. Not to mention how they feel about going into work, vaccinated, not vaccinated, being around lots of other people, only to then say, oops, just kidding, and kind of jerk the rug out yeah. from under them. Like it's just it's it's literal, physical, mental, emotional turmoil. Yeah, the the, the impending is, date that this is yeah. this thing is coming, this decision is coming creates a lot of mental stress and pressure on an organization and then just to unwind it so abruptly is you kind of let the pressure build for days and weeks and maybe months and then you just pull it out in in the span of a day like that's pretty tough. Right? We had some similar situations. I don't know what what Texas has been like in PA, we've had some similar situations with schools just dragging their feet and every district was doing something different. And then you had charter schools and private schools and, you know, depending on what they were going to offer kids and, and was it going to, were they going to be required vaccinations? Were they going to require masks for everyone? Was it parents' choice? You know, just all, all of this chaos until really, truly just a, a handful of days before school was supposed to start. Most schools were... Um, did open, but they pushed back their start, their opening day, even by one day to get ready for some additional changes. Just, this isn't even about, you know, is it right or wrong to go back? This is just levels of turmoil for individuals, certainly for kids, for families. It's very, very chaotic. Yeah. We cover some of this in our, I was just looking episode 22 about returning to work and some of the pitfalls there and and ways to be optimally flexible and and things like that. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're listening, you should check that one out. That was a good plug. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) But when I'm looking at um, just thinking about this book and thinking about the the ways of learning to rethink, relearn, and be more and more responsive in turbulence, which is such a good word for right now, I just, these examples are everywhere. And they have nothing to do with business success at all. They're just the human aspects. So how does a leader manage people when that leader is going through so much, likely going through so much of this themselves, and then also needing to bring their team or their company along in a healthy way? Yeah, and it's also so important as a leader to be decisive. And the thing that really, and again, a lot of my... um, the internal questions I have when I start to read a book are, is this going to be applicable to me? Is this interesting? Like almost all of that was answered in the prologue, which I'm you know, super excited about. And so I'm through chapter one also, which we won't get into today. We'll just kind of kick off the series. But 
he says, act like you're right, but listen like you're wrong. And I think that's a really cool way to think about the root of this book. And then also, you know, we still need decisiveness, maybe now more than ever, but it just, it looks different. It's not rigidity, but the the ability to make informed, intelligent decisions decisions in the face of a lack of context and information and, and a heightened level of uncertainty is 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 more important than ever. Yep. Yep. So this will be this will be really interesting. Is there anything in particular that you're um specifically excited about as you were looking through reading through the prologue? It surprised me maybe just with Adam Grant I, I didn't real I, I don't I've no, I don't think I've ever read one of his books before. And so he's written Give and Take Originals Option B with Sheryl Sandberg. You know, this guy has thousands of five-star reviews, uh, psychologist by trade, but also professor at Wharton in University of Pennsylvania. So he's just right up the road from you, I think. You know, TED Talks, all of those things. So this is a very accomplished thinker in our space. And I'm kind of I, I was immediately hooked. Anyway, and, and when I was preparing for the episode, I then I looked up Adam Grant and I was thinking, oh man, this guy is, he's got the credentials mm-hmm. for sure. And so I think what I'm most excited about to answer your question is really relating this to how we as leaders, are, like our ability to build trust. So like ad- admitting when you're wrong, we're willing to take advice from those around you, adapting to feedback, you know, again, remaining decisive, you know, those kind of things. These are all balances that we have to take into account. And I, I think it's easy to say, you know, admitting when you're wrong or not doubling down or those things that we've talked about before, it's harder to to do it. And so I think, and, and then encourage an organization to do it. And so I think that's kind of the, where it goes from a little bit of an individual rewiring to an organizational rewiring is is probably the the thing I'm most jazzed about. What about you? I'm most interested, I think, in the section around interpersonal interactions and rethinking the idea of opening other people's minds. And I think to a degree, that's what this podcast is all about, is helping people see things differently, helping leaders be better leaders, helping them understand the value of trust, build trust, et cetera. But we've talked before about different, less traditional styles of negotiation, not, not just contract negotiation, but basic interpersonal interactions that involve helping someone move from point A to point B. So much of consulting even is the art of convincing a client to do something differently and also letting them believe it was their idea when it works out. So I'm very interested in that section in the book around helping helping other people go on the journey with you. Yeah, that's great. So in the prologue, kind of First of all, the, the thing with the frog in the boiling water, did you know mm-hmm. that? Did you know that that was completely wrong? I did not until I read the prologue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that completely just derailed me. But yeah, so if you haven't read the book, part of an example of a thing that you should rethink, it's something that you probably can't even rem- remember when you learned it, you you feel like you've done it forever, is the sort of analogy of you put a frog in lukewarm water, you start to heat up the water that's how you cook a frog, right? The, the frog won't jump out. The water will get warmer around it and eventually it'll die. And it turns out that's not true. When the water becomes uncomfortably warm, it just hops out. Like obvious, like that, sh- that seems like it should be so obvious. And then this is kind of morbid, but if you threw a frog in boiling water, like there's a really high chance that it'll get hurt and just get stuck in there. And so 
this is, it's again, one of those examples where this thing that you thought was true, you know, you laugh at people who still use Windows 95, but you still have these like really hardcore beliefs you've held on to since then, you know, so that maybe they're outdated. And the idea is to just sort of rethink and again, going back to really the level of intentionality of it's okay to believe something, even with that, even if you don't have all the facts and you're just choosing to believe something, but you, you should be like intentional about that and not sort of suckered into it or just doing it by default, or that's why you've always done it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I found the frog analogy kind of the, <laughs> the myth busting, if you will, on that one. I for- completely forgot about that until you mentioned it. And it, that was p- pretty eye opening to me <laughs> as well, because <laughs> we use that example all the time, but I guess that is, it, I don't know, is it comforting to know that, that that's how the frog would behave because that would be smarter for the frog, but that's also how we behave. We just we say in in we say somewhere until something becomes uncomfortable and then we leave when i don't know so, so moving away from the analogy at this point that discomfort is where growth comes yeah but then on, on the other note they have a lot or there's a theme in the book around these firefighters and some of them died fighting fires and it it goes into like the the beliefs of not even wanting to throw your tools to the ground when it's time to run because they're like a part of you and there's it's an you're you're facing an existential threat when you have to do something like that. And, you know, that maps to professional life, like giving up a belief is like, you know, can be an existential threat at times. And then Adam Grant takes it one step further and is like, yeah, but a lot of these firefighters were even coming in and fighting a fire that didn't need to be fought, right? Like there was no, no one's life was at risk. It was in some remote area. And so you can even sort of think about you know, you're you're playing this game and you're rethinking decisions within the game, but then you can even go up and question one level higher of like, are we even playing the right game? Those kind of things. And so I'm I'm kind of excited about trying to have the presence of mind to get some tools to have the presence of mind to like elevate above like a certain level of decisioning. Cause I can tend to get kind of, you know, laser focused. And so it'll be cool to see if I can broaden that out a little bit. Awesome. Awesome. Hope we can. Yeah. And then also, like you said, the the skill here is not the ability to think and learn, which is what we traditionally view as intelligence, right? But it's the ability to rethink and unlearn, which mm-hmm. I think is more a learnable skill, right? Your your IQ can only be so high. You can only grasp such a, a certain level of information, or it's going to be hard to, to go down a certain path of, of understanding. But I think the cognitive skill of rethinking, unlearning, that that can be more learned. I think that's less intelligence dependent. I don't know. What do you think? I I would agree. I would agree. It's the it's a different it's a different cue, right? It's not EQ or IQ. It's something else that allows one to. We almost need a different one. <laughs> There's some something else that allows one to be open minded and set aside one's ego or opinions or even just suspend disbelief for a minute to hear something different. So I don't know what I don't know what that represents necessarily, but I do agree. Yeah. You know, suspending disbelief is interesting too. You know, like we do that when we watch science fiction, right? But then it's kind of funny because we get really worked up as an audience when, you know, we're fine suspending disbelief and then the world that gets created that we're choosing to opt into those laws of physics or or rules get violated and then it's like really frustrating like a plot hole or something like that and so i think there's some analogs there to to real life as well yep i think that's good this will be 
I'm I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to give me a reason to go back and reread some of those um, earlier chapters too. And and I always enjoy hearing your opinions on them too. So. Yeah, same. So I think we'll take one one chapter per episode. Yep, sounds great. He, I I do recall he he had at least two that I can I can't remember exactly what they were called. It'll jog my my memory. Will be jogged pretty quickly here though. He had in, even introduced a couple of new frameworks, ones I hadn't used before or thought about. So we'll leave that as a little a little teaser to people for tuning into the next twelve episodes. Yeah, yeah, I do think that. So and and sometimes he mentions them very quickly, but trying to keep track of the frameworks that are outlined and expand on those a little bit. Because there were two in the prologue. Also, first instinct fallacy and cognitive laziness, which I think we've all sort of heard of, right? First instinct fallacy is whatever you sort of think first you believe is correct. Like, I thought this, so it must be true. And uh, there has been study after study showing that when people change their answers on tests or rethink an idea, a lot of times they change into something, into the right answer. And part of that is it's so hard for us to be willing to rethink something or change our answer to begin with that there's usually a little bit more of heightened. Maybe we would want to be more sure about it before we did, but also the the act of considering another alternative actually helps solidify your knowledge and understanding or confirming that something's correct. So like the, I think the the value here is in the questioning of, is this right? Let me think about it for a second. Do I need to change my answer? Like that's that's where the value lies, not so much in the changing of the answer. And yet we've been taught and taught and taught that your first in- instinct is right. I mean, there are entire books written about following your blink reaction, your gut reaction, your first reaction, you know, grabbing a hold of that and not, not overthinking or not overanalyzing, second guessing yourself. And the truth is that, that so much of that data is incorrect. There is value in reconsidering. Well, yeah. And I, don't they cite experts? So maybe it was in a Malcolm Gladwell book. This was I'm really jogging my memory here, where maybe it's in Blink. I was going to say it's Blink. Yeah, they have these these like art experts that can that look at a piece of counterfeit art and get a visceral reaction, and they know it's like a fake, and it they they're like better than computers to a degree. And there's like I remember one the, the example that sticks out in my head is like one of the, one of the artists or art critics or art experts was saying, yeah, the fingernails on this are just like, they're not quite right. And I think that counts, that works if you're an expert. And if the, I mean, that's a relatively fixed, it's, that's not a complex problem. Like, is this thing real or fake? Right. And so I think when we're in this sort of uncertain, ambiguous environment where humans are involved and it's the interactions between them and you're in a time that's not, that has a lot of complexity in it as well, that first instinct fallacy can hurt you. If if you have expertise in an area, it may it may be worth listening to, but it also, in this case, may be worth rethinking. And, and that's the whole point, right? Like you you might still be right. It doesn't mean you're wrong because you have an opinion or a first instinct. It just means you have to short circuit the the hardwiring that's that makes you feel like you're unequivocally right. And related to the other framework, we'll use that term kind of loosely, that was talked about in the prologue which is cognitive laziness. And and this is related, right? We just prefer the ease of hanging on to our views (laughs) over the difficulty of grappling with new ones. That's what it says. And I think that's totally right. It's just so much easier to to 
keep believing what you've already been believing. Yeah, it's pretty, it is, it's interesting how many things there's, there's another expression for this. I apologize. I can't remember, but something like, like deep identity beliefs, like there, there, you know, there are obviously a set of things that are, that are core to who we are. And we, we, when those are threatened, we don't budge on them because we, I mean, faith is, is just one example, but the laziness for me comes in when we allow that gradient to seep into other things like the Windows 95 example, or even a particular process one has for doing work or completing tasks, or I mean, so many, so many, I can't can't even come up with, with a great example today, but there, there will always be those things that we can't budge on and we, we won't, or we actually will lose a part of ourselves and we'll compromise on, on something that is pure, but Otherwise, almost everything should be up for grabs. You know, we should be open to learning, to relearning something, being exposed to a new set of facts. Yeah, I can see where the existential threat comes in, though. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, that's some, I think part of the point of the book, too, though, is you could even get a long way by not treating the mundane things that you have an opinion about as if they are existential. There's probably, you you have maybe five like truly existential beliefs where if you if they were threatened or or broken it would cause cognitive stress like to the level that you would have to like go and repair <laughs> you know what i mean mentally most most everything else though and and maybe maybe those aren't off limits of the book 80 to 90% of that feeling though i think is is really misplaced and it's not really existential it just it feels that way and so I think breaking those down, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here that you don't even have to get to the hard stuff. Like if you're not looking to, you know, redefine your your politics or or faith beliefs, like that, I don't I don't think you you're prohibited from reading the book. I think there's plenty of stuff that even in, even if you just think of it professionally, and you think about the organization that you work in and that you're you're leading, and there's there's plenty of goodness here for that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, as, as you, as you rightly said, they're outside of these, these kind of five core things, most other things in life, we should learn to be, learn to be flexible about and not be cognitively, cognitively lazy when we're confronted with them. So. Which is, which is the, what Adam Grant would say is a hallmark of wisdom, right? Knowing when it's time to abandon some of your most treasured tools that aren't serving you well. Yeah. It's going to be good. I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited too. All right. So anything else on the prologue, on the kickoff? I don't think so. Great. All right, cool. So we're going to go through the whole book. Probably be 13 episodes, maybe more, depending on how we want to break down each chapter. Because we might want to do like a debrief on each section because they're sort of, what is it, individual, then group? Individual group and then... Lifelong um, learners. Yeah, yeah, lifelong, creating, creating communities. Yeah. Individual rethinking, updating our own views, interpersonal thinking, that's opening other people's minds. That's going to... I'm really... I'm I'm excited about that just like you. I'm like, how is that going to... How does that work even? (laughs) And then creating communities of lifelong learners, collective rethinking. And so just depending on how applicable each of those sections are, then yeah, maybe we'll, we'll break those out as well. Cool. Okay. Yep. Looking forward to it. Cool. All right. Well, if you're listening, you want to be part of the discussion, feel free to email us. Hello at the industry of trust.com. And uh, you can join, read along with us. We're just going to start chapter one and uh, we'll talk about it each week. I hope you enjoy the series. Hope it helps you be better at your craft of leadership and your ability to build trust with those around you. You good? 
I'm good. <laughs> I got the thumbs up. All right. Cool. Well, then I will talk to you next week. Awesome. Have a good Thanks. one. Thanks. You too. Bye.